0: Hello and welcome to Take Back Our Schools. I'm Beth Feely here with my co-host Andrew Gutman and we're two accidental activist parents who woke up and spoke up about issues we saw in our children's education. And on this podcast, we tackle those issues as well as some solutions. And in the solutions vein, uh, today we welcome Tony Ortiz. Tony is the first lay president of Cristo Rey Jesuit High School, which was founded in 1996 and pioneered the corporate work study program model uh, for inner city education. And that has since inspired a national network of 38 schools serving traditionally under-resourced communities across the country. Tony joined Krista Ray in 2000, first as the director of corporate and foundation relations, then as associate principal, and then became president in June of 2012. He has degrees in business and a master's in education from Notre Dame, as well as an MBA from Loyola University in Chicago, and serves on a wide variety of Catholic and education related boards, too many to name. So, Tony, welcome.
1: Good morning, Beth. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been an honor to be here.
0: So uh, perhaps we can start with the founding of Christo Rey. Um, how and I guess also why was Cristo Rey and that model conceived? And how is it different from other uh, Catholic high schools?
1: Sure, great. That's a great place to start. Uh, So back in the mid-90s, Cardinal Francis George here in Chicago uh, was having a conversation with the Jesuits, and he really challenged the Jesuits at that time, you know, what are you doing for the immigrant Latino community of Chicago, in particular, the different communities in Chicago that might not financially be able to access some of the more traditional uh, Catholic high schools. Uh, As you know, the Jesuits are known worldwide for education. Uh, in this country alone, they've got, I think, about 28 colleges and universities. Uh, and they've got nearly 50 Jesuit high schools around the country. And so um, really what he was asking for is you know, how are we going to make Jesuit Catholic education more accessible to families and communities in Chicago that might not be able to afford tuition? Uh, in Chicago at that time, you had two traditional Catholic high schools, Jesuit. Uh, St. Ignatius College Prep, which is down in the city off Roosevelt and Loyola Academy out in the suburbs. Well, the Jesuits kind of heard the cardinal out and brainstormed and kind of thought about opening up a third Jesuit high school in the Pilsen Little Village community of Chicago, which uh, to this day, but especially in the 90s, was really seen as as a financially uh, depressed area of the city, uh, but also a very vibrant, culturally vibrant area as it was home to many immigrant uh, families uh, and throughout the history of Chicago, Polish and Eastern European, and more recently, uh, Latin American families, mainly from Mexico. Uh, But the real question that came, how are we gonna make this financially affordable? It's like any decision you make, whether it's on a personal level or when you're starting a business, is how how are we gonna keep the doors open? How are we gonna keep the lights on? And they did what a lot of people do, which is they hired a consultant and they bounced around a few different financial model ideas and this consultant said, well, what if somehow we could conceive some sort of work-study program where the earnings from the work-study program could offset the cost of education? Uh, I know we all worked in high school. I worked in a movie theater. Um, so we know this, is a, this concept you know, had some legs. Well, fast forward to what we have today, which is the corporate work-study program, which is uh, its own independently uh, incorporated 501c3 separate from the school that essentially is an employment, temporary employment agency. Uh, the corporate work study program goes out um, and knocks on doors of the business community in Chicago and really pitches two concepts job leasing and job sharing. The job leasing part is we'll go to a company and say, Will you outsource an entry level full time equivalent position to our students? And the job sharing part is four students will share that job. And so we can kind of get into the nuts and bolts, uh, if you'd like uh, a little bit later, but um, that's how it was conceived, and it was
2: conceived as a way to make this education affordable uh, for low-income families. Were there any other schools nationwide doing something like this, or was this really a novel concept that that consulting firm kind of came up with? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both.
1: Andrew. I think there were some schools and more, actually some nonprofits. That we're doing some versions of kind of a, a work study program for teenage for teenagers, but uh, not to this extent, not not really selling it as a business proposition where our students are going to add value. It was more kind of a you know we've got some high school students who might do a summer internship or might do an internship for a few months, but not for the entire year and not in a structured
2: way. Where to the point where we even do professional development and training so that our students hit the ground running. Got it. And what was the reaction like initially from prospective families, parents and the kids? I mean, is this something that was very attractive to them where they're like, what is this? Why am I working when I'm going to school? What's going on here? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think there was doubt all over the place with
1: good reason. Um, Father Foley, who is our founding president uh, often tells the story that on the first day of work uh, when the students went out, he hid under the desk. He's like, this is all gonna fail. Like, what are we doing? And a few days later, his phone was ringing and some of the companies were calling him, thanking him for sending the students. I also think families probably, you know, it's very exciting uh, as a concept, but I think initially there were a lot of doubts like, how is this really going to work? Is this really going to be a real job? Are they really going to allow our students um, to walk into these fancy companies, these fancy offices, and trust them? With some some responsibility, even kind of walking through the door, getting your own badge to scan in, getting your own login, having access uh, to the office, that takes a lot of trust. And I I I wasn't here in that first year, but I would imagine there was some doubt. That uh, but luckily our students stepped up and and proved the concept. Uh,
0: What are some of the jobs that the that the students take, and has that changed since the beginning of the program, or has it remained kind of consistent in the in the type of, of work that they do?
1: Yeah, great, great question, Ben. And that's a that's a question that we're answering in real time. That's evolving in real time. Um, you know, initially, so we work across various functional areas at a company. We'll work in finance and accounting, customer service, human resources, marketing, technology, legal. Uh, those are kind of the big, broad areas, functional areas where our students will work. Uh, initially, uh, it's entry level work, and especially pre-COVID. It might be data entry. It might be working at a front desk, answering phones, directing clients, delivering mail. It might be in an office services department, setting up conference rooms, breaking them down after meetings and so forth. More recently, we've gotten into a little bit more sophisticated jobs, especially in the IT space, uh, where uh, a lot of that work can be done uh, remotely. And so you, would, you can imagine the pandemic really kind of threw a wrench in our business plan, uh, as with every every organization out there, but um, a lot of our our work more recently has been in the IT space. Uh, They'll they'll even be doing some very kind of basic coding for some companies. Um, We just landed a job with Google last year, so we're in year two in a partnership with Google, and they're really helping us understand what areas within technology our students can possibly add value with a little bit of training.
0: Has this kind of become a pipeline to some of the companies that you have partnered with uh, who, who provide jobs through this program?
1: You know, when companies jump on our program, they do it for several reasons. Being a talent pipeline is one of those top reasons that they partner with us. Uh, they play the long game with us on, on that uh, partnership because they know when it's good for business because um, they're exposing their business their marketing materials, uh, their business model to a segment of Chicago that might or might otherwise not have exposure to their business. But uh, what we see is over 50% of our current job partners, and we've been around 27 years, but 50% of our current job partners have hired alumni full-time post-graduation. And so we've got, I've got this great story that I'll, I'll mention in a little bit, but of an alum who started at Aon as a sophomore uh, in the year 2000. So he's class of 2003. And he's still at Aon 22 years later. He's probably mid wow. 30s and he's been at Aon 22 years. And, um, you know, he and a lot of a lot of our students stay with these companies. So they see it as a pipeline for sure.
2: Does the curriculum that you're teaching try to dovetail with some of the skills that you know, that companies want? I mean, you mentioned IT more recently. I mean, are you doing more, you know, IT-related coding classes now to try to build that skill set? And, it, you know, and is the curriculum different than what other, you know, schools that don't have this kind of work-study program are doing?
1: Yeah, Andrew, we're
2: trying to do it all. And that, that as you can imagine, can be
1: difficult. So we, at the foundation of our academic experience here at Crystal Ray is college prep, a traditional college prep education that you would get at Loyola Academy or St. Ignatius or New Trier or Walter Payton College Prep. You know, we do four years of English, four years of math, three years of science with an optional fourth year, all of that for sure. But to your point, uh, we are also constantly trying to integrate the corporate work study program experience into the academic curriculum and vice versa, trying to get our teachers and our educators to understand the evolving workplace. And so I'll give you a few practical examples of that. Um, last year, we implemented a curriculum where we certified over 200 of our students in Microsoft Excel, the actual credential, the actual badge from Microsoft um, in Excel, which, which I don't know about you, but
2: I, I, I am certainly not credentialed in Microsoft. I, I actually used to teach Excel classes back, oh, so you back in it. the day to, to hedge funds and investment banks. So, Yeah. We might, we might have you come in for a few. Okay. Uh,
0: Guest lecturer, there you go. Guess a long lecturer. time ago, though. No, that was
2: like Excel version, I don't know, like 2000, I don't know. Like <laughs> you Excel may versions. need to be recertified yourself. <laughs> I may need to be recertified.
1: They, 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 may, they may have to train you, Andrew. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, exactly. Uh, uh, but what we also, we were doing this pre-pandemic, and we haven't done it since, but we would do a teacher-to-work day, where we would take a half day. Uh, we have classes until noon send the students home, uh, it's just a half day, and do professional development in the afternoon. But part of that would be we would send teachers to a company, to one of our corporate partners in cohorts. Three or four teachers would go to Aon, three or four teachers would go to Google, three or four teachers would go to Chase Bank. And they need to also kind of understand, walk in the shoes of our students, what it feels like to walk into these companies, what kind of work are they doing? And then how can they take those lessons back into the classroom and make learning more relevant? Uh, because when you make connections to kind of real, real life situations, um, I think the students kind of open their, and say, oh, okay, I get it. Now I understand why I have to learn this.
0: And then, yeah, hopefully you're a little more motivated to finish that homework. Exactly. You know, along those lines. So you have a, essentially what happens, you have uh, students go to school for four days and they work for one do you pack more into those four days that they're in the classroom? Are they longer days? Or how do you, how do you accomplish everything you need to to retain your accreditation and whatnot, um, but still offer them that day, that day free for work?
1: You're, you get it, Beth. You're 100% right on that. We do that in a few ways. First, we have a longer school year. Uh, we start in mid-August and we go until about mid-June. So we stretch the school year by about two weeks at the beginning and two weeks at the end. Um, You know, traditionally most school systems were going Labor Day to Memorial Day. We would kind of stretch that out a little bit on the front end and the back end. Secondly, we have a longer school day, 8 to 3.30. Now that might not seem longer to you, but if you remember, it was pretty recent. Chicago had the shortest school day in the country at one point. Um, And so, you know, the local school down the street might be getting out at 2.20 or 2.40. So we were kind of tacking on an extra hour there. So, between the slightly longer school year, slightly longer school day, uh, we meet all our accreditation requirements, all the number of hours the Illinois State Board of Education requires. And uh, we were just actually, just last year, we went through our annual reaccreditation process. So, but that's how we accomplish that.
2: Do kids have to apply? How, how does, how does, and, and, and are you seeing a different demographic applying, a different population applying than, you know, schools that don't have this kind of work study program?
1: I love that you asked that question, Andrew, because it gets to the heart of who we are. Is because if you don't get that piece right out of the gate, then you know. Um, but let me talk a little bit about how you get into Crystal Ray. Um So, first, we don't test. So, you never, you know, we're not, uh, and this is meant as no disrespect to other schools who do an entrance exam, but that's just not who we are. Uh, we take students from all ability levels. Uh, and in fact, When our admissions director, if she sees an applicant who has straight A's and test scores off the chart, uh, we would love to have that student. But we actually say, you know, you should really test and see if you can get into a selective enrollment school, Walter Payton, Northside College Prep. Even if you go to St. Ignatius, they have financial aid. Uh, We would love to have that student. But I'll tell you who we're really, really looking for. If we're really looking for that BC student, maybe who has attended a school that hasn't challenged them their potential, maybe a grinder. Uh, they work hard, but maybe school doesn't come as easy to them. Um, you'd be surprised too how those students, how that translates into a great work ethic through our work study program. So we interview every single applicant. Uh, we have an admissions interview weekend in early March. Um, and they come in and we talk to them for about 20 minutes about what the school is and who we're looking for and we ask them a series of questions. Then we interview, they step out of the room and we interview the parent guardian and and from the beginning we're we're making sure parents are are on board with the four-year experience that their child is going to receive here Uh, and lastly we look at uh, the financial information of the family and the reason we do that is because you have to qualify financially to be accepted to crystal ray we have income eligibility requirements meaning the more money you make the less chance you have to be accepted to criteria is very countercultural so 92 percent of our students qualify for free reduced lunch our average family income is thirty-nine thousand dollars for an average family size of five and so um if we're just trying to pick our spot you know so if you are kind of a middle class family or upper middle class and you can afford you can stretch maybe attend another traditional Catholic high school and pay that tuition, maybe with a little bit of financial aid, you should go there. This is really meant for families who financially would never have even conceived of applying to a private high school.
0: Well, it sounds like that's also keeping you on mission, um, getting back to the founding and the charge that you were given uh, by the Cardinal. So, I'd love to talk about the expansion of Cristo Rey, because this really does seem like an impressive model. And so it's my understanding it's expanded to 38 uh, schools that are inspired by your model. So are these, I guess, where are these schools? And then are they Cristo Rey schools? Are they, do they go under different names? And I guess how much, how closely do they adhere to the model that you all have created?
1: So Beth, that's something we're, incredible. I think I've all, when I speak in public events or whatnot and I tell the Crystal Ray story here in Chicago, I say, this is a Chicago story. And I hope the city really takes a lot of pride that it took Chicago businesses and Chicago families on both sides of that coin to take a big risk in the mid nineties to make this work. Because in 2001, the second Crystal Ray School opened up in Portland, uh, Oregon, in 2002, Los Angeles opened up. In 2004, New York and Boston followed suit. 2005, I believe, Denver and Cleveland. And now we're at 38 schools. Uh, we just opened up Cristo Ray Miami uh, in August of this year. Uh, so a few weeks ago. And uh, to answer your question, they're all Catholic high schools, but only about 12 of them are Jesuit high schools. So some of them are run by different religious orders, whether it be Sisters of Notre Dame, the Dominicans, the Franciscans, a handful of archdiocesan
2: Catholic high schools. So they're all Catholic in faith, but different religious traditions. Does that, I'm sorry to interrupt, does that impact the education that's being taught? Are there differences?
1: You know, there are differences. I think you still get the quality, both from an academic and from the work study program, but I think the faith piece, you're all, you're still learning about the Catholic faith, but every religious order kind of has a different twist on it, right? And so, which I think adds to the richness nationally of the crystal ray model. Um, and, and lastly, to, to answer your question, Beth, on terms of, you know, we we all, to be a crystal ray school, we all subscribe to what we call mission effectiveness standards. Uh, and there's 10 of them. And, and I'll kind of uh, summarize them in the sense. The first one is you have to be a Catholic school. The second one is you have to be college prep. The third one, you have to serve low-income families. The fourth one, you've got to have the work study program. So there are high level principles that we commit to. And then the crystal Ray network, which is based here out of Chicago, they're charged with, uh, it's kind of like an accreditation process. They go in every few years and make sure every school is adhering to these mission effectiveness standards. And so they're all gonna have very common looks and feels, but they're all kind of independently owned and operated nationally.
0: That, I was gonna ask, like, how do you, how do you ensure that the, they are adhering to those quality standards? Have you ever had a situation where one of the schools is falling a little astray and how do you bring them back in line?
1: Yeah, we, you know, that happens, uh, I wouldn't say all the time, but it happens, right? You know, different markets, are, are a little bit more challenging than others. Um, and so the mission effectiveness, effectiveness visit is meant to identify where, where are the schools possibly struggling, and then how do we provide support and resources, whether perhaps there's a school that academically they're not on par with where they should be, or there's a school in the smaller market that they don't have enough corporate work study jobs to financially sustain the model. Or there's another school in a different market that perhaps enrollment is lower than it should be. So with the scale and the scope of the model nationally, there's a lot of best practices that we can bring to help that school. And then teams are put together to go in and, um, you know, help that school address that gap.
0: What about graduation rates? Like what happens after you get out of a Cristo Ray or Cristo Ray affiliated school?
1: It's something we're really proud of, Beth, and we just got some recent data a few weeks ago. Um, so, when you, gra- so I'll talk about Chris Ray Pilsen specifically, our school. Um, so, our six year college graduation rate is about 63%, um, which, you know, we would, it might sound somewhat low to you because, you know, we would all love to be at 90% or 80%, 100%. But when you look at the demographic we're serving, uh, low-income, first-gen students of color, nationally, that averages between 11 and 15% of a six-year graduation rate. So we're about four times. It's that low? It's la- that Dem- low. De- wow. That demographic. First-gen, low-income, wow. students of color. And that's remarkable what you're doing. We feel pretty good about it. Obviously, we're still pushing. We'd love to see that higher. You know, we're also saying, you know, college graduation is only one marker of success. It's a marker that we really emphasize. But at the end of the day too, we feel really good about the students we're graduating are just good people with values. And if you get an associate's degree or you go into the trades, you know, you are gonna be a great contributing member to your community and to your family. So, you know, college is a really important indicator, but we're just really proud of all our graduates and we're just graduating good people.
0: We will be back with more right after this.
2: What was it like to cover President Donald Trump? Hi, I'm Deborah J. Saunders, former White House correspondent for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I was not one of the stars you'd see in the front two rows of the briefing room. I was in the back of the room or standing in the aisles before I got a seat. It was not fake news. It was my life. I get up in the morning and see what the most powerful man in the world wrote on Twitter overnight or blurted out during a call-in to a morning news show, then try to make sense of it all. I should give a warning. There is adult language, although not necessarily from the mouths of adults. Covering the Trump White House feels much better in the rearview mirror. This is Covering Trump, the story of my four years covering President Donald Trump's White House. Ricochet! Join the conversation.
0: So has Krista Ray ever considered adding in, or, or do you have a kind of a track that does go a little bit more directly into the trades, or do you stick with just college prep and college is the goal? Um, because I know that's a growing field and A, because of the shortage of people to fill trades jobs, but it's a, it is a fantastic way to, to you know make a lot of money and, and lead a good life.
1: Absolutely. So we've we've talked about it. We haven't moved on it. But that, that's, that conversation surfaces pretty, uh, pretty often. Um, I, you know, if you were to ask me, Beth, I would say we'll probably stick to our college prep emphasis. It's just kind of who the Jesuits are. But I think uh, where we can really help in that is if a student goes on to college and it's just not for them, how do we help them transition into a field in the trades where, you know, they're going to be a lot happier and they're going to live a really meaningful life and make a good living. And and how our our alumni and college support help those students do that, I think that could be a real opportunity for us.
2: I have sort of a related question and I, and, and just word for you personally than, than something that probably you've discussed as an organization, but it, it's a fascinating model to have kids work, let's say one day a week you know, you're focused on, you know, lower income kids doing that so they can afford to get the kind of education you're providing, but it seemingly is something that kids of any income level would benefit from. Is there any thought either from the organization or just, you know, personally what you think of of having a similar model for any income level of giving kids that opportunity to work, get the work experience during high school? I love that, Andrew.
1: I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, it's interesting. So I have a freshman this year. And uh, my wife and I, we have four children, and, and our oldest is a freshman at St. Ignatius College Prep down the street. And she's there because she doesn't qualify financially to be accepted here at Crystal Ray. But I can't tell you, I've had board members before tell me, oh, I've got my kid at X, Y, or Z. I wish they could come to Crystal Ray because of that work program. And I know what that does for students regardless of socioeconomic status. Um, So that, you know, we've identified that uh, from the onset. Secondly, think about this. If we do our job well, our alumni, 60, 70% of them will go into college, will graduate from college, probably means they'll make a pretty good living. Even if they don't graduate from college, have a great foundation, still make a good living, as we talked about, going into the trades, their children will more than likely be ineligible to be accepted to Crystal Ray because they they won't qualify for free and reduced lunch. They'll be above the poverty level. And we're already seeing that. And we have alum saying, but I want my child to experience what I got. But you know, I'm making a decent living. I'm not, you know, I'm not a millionaire or billionaire, but I'm making a decent living and I don't qualify to send my child to Crystal Ray. So we're seeing that on several fronts. I, I would say we would love to do that in concept. And it makes sense because any child can benefit from real work experience at a young age. Um, But even right now, we are still hustling to get enough jobs for our current 550 students because we lost quite a few during the pandemic, as you might imagine. So we're, we're almost back to baseline, but it's been a lot of work over the last two years just to get back to baseline with our current corporate partners.
0: So what would it take to scale Cristo Ray even more rapidly? Um, sounds like it's it's probably a question of resources, but this just really is such a powerful model. It's it's too bad that that, you know, overnight you couldn't expand by 10 times because it clearly there seems to be demand.
1: For sure. You know, I think what would one of the things it would take is the business community here in Chicago would really uh, have to commit and understand to the potential of such a wide scale work study program. And, and, and the companies that partner with us, they get it. They really get it. I think a lot of our companies right now in real time are still figuring out what the workplace looks like for them. You know, they're in two, three days a week. They're trying to figure out which teams are remote, which teams are in person. What does that look like? As, um, But what's also helped us get back is, as you know, there's a labor shortage and our students, if we're training them and we're giving the proper training, giving them the proper training, they we've had a few companies call us and say, we need help. You know, it doesn't have to be market analysis, but we need some arms and legs helping us with certain functions. Can we partner? We we literally uh, we had one. Well, I'll tell you, it was, it was Boston Consulting Group. They had one team, and they called us up and said, "We need more help. And the the four students we have are crushing it. Can we? Would it be possible to hire a second team?" So we said, "Of course." You know. So um, I think I think companies would need to say would need to see the value in this work study program, and I, I think they're getting it. But that's what we need our companies to do is just to really open their doors to to our students.
2: Would, your your focus obviously historically has been on on, on or, or for your school specifically on, on employers in Chicago, right? Now that things have, you know, in the pandemic somewhat switched to remote work. And as you said a minute ago, companies are still figuring out whether remote work continues indefinitely or partially. Is there a thought on can you expand your outreach to employers beyond just local areas in Chicago? I mean, if you have Boston Consulting Group, does work all over, they have offices all over the world might that be an opportunity to you know have kids work remotely you know much further than the pandemic and that really expands the opportunities that you guys are you know doing outreach to
1: for sure we before one of the silver linings of kind of what we've experienced over the last two years we were limited based on our geography Uh, right now most of our jobs are downtown in the loop but we go out to the south side to the university of chicago We go out a little bit to to the western suburbs. We'll go up to the Rosemont Corridor by O'Hare. But now, to your point, a company can be almost anywhere in the world. I'll give you one example. We've got an investment bank, a global investment bank, that has an office here in Chicago. Uh, They are very close to partnering with us. But the job that they want our students doing is they want our students interacting with their office in London that prepares pitches and presentations yeah. or business uh, pitches. And a lot of companies, they work 24 hours a day now because their offices, you know, when they're sleeping in the United States, they're working in London. And so um, they feel like that London office can do some work. And when they go to bed, send it over to our students and our students can work on it while they're sleeping and then send it back. So it's really fascinating uh, what the potential is now because of remote work
0: so a question about the work experience for the student a do they do they get a paycheck or does mm. this go straight into into a tuition paying fund so cuz i i know i remember when i first got my uh, a job in high school i kind of got my paycheck and i saw Various amounts of money taken out of my paycheck, and it was, and it was also really rewarding uh, to see that I put in that work and I, I get money. And then, secondly, about for, uh, performance reviews: Do the companies yes. perform form, performance reviews so that the the students can know how they're doing?
1: I'm so glad you asked that because, yes, and uh, on the performance reviews, and I'll talk about that in a second. But they don't see their paycheck, and that initially can be a little bit challenging, right? Because let me walk you through some of the numbers. We charge all our companies $39,000 a year for four students to fill a full time FTE Monday through Friday. So, say, uh, uh, um, and the way we do that, is we rotate Mondays. So, we've got a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday worker, and then those four workers share Mondays. So, one week of the month, first worker will take Monday and so forth. Um, So each student is earning $9,750 a year from September through mid-June towards the cost of their education, which in our case is about $14,000. So they're earning about two-thirds of the cost of their education. But they don't see that paycheck. It goes, the company pays the Corporate Work Study Program nonprofit, the 501c3. Then that 501c3 uh, funnels that money to Crystal Ray High School um so we've got to you know that's why it's so important when we interview uh potential eighth graders potential freshmen and their parents that they understand that you're not going to see a physical paycheck you're not going to see it deposited into your account but otherwise we'd have to charge a tuition of 15 dollars a year and instead our tuition is two thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars for the year and even if that Uh, probably close to 90% of our families receive financial assistance to afford the $2,950. So they might get $1,000 in scholarship, or they might get a scholarship tax credit, which lowers their bill, you know, from $2,950 to maybe $1,500. $1,500 for the year divided by 10 months, that's $150 a month. And so I think you know, you have to understand the mechanics of that, but you're not gonna see the physical paycheck, but you're getting a uh, uh, college prep tier one education at 150 bucks a month. And so, um, and we do performance reviews. We do three a year. We do one in uh, mid-October. That's more of a check-in. We do at the end of the first semester, a performance review in January. And then we do another performance review towards the end of the school year in April or May. And we encourage our companies, if a student is struggling in any area, we want to know about it because sometimes companies say, well, I don't want the kid to get in trouble. And, you know, they're doing, they're trying their best, which is, but isn't that part of life is how do we receive feedback? How, how, how does someone point out our areas of growth or maybe our blind spots? And then we respond accordingly. So we say, they're not going to get in trouble. In fact, I'll be honest with you, out of 550 students every year, Maybe three or four lose their job, quote unquote, lose their job. Where the company just says, it's not working out. We will bring that kid back. We, they don't lose their spot here at the school. We bring them back. We put them through a retraining program over eight weeks. Uh, and we place another student at that company. And I mean, I don't know about you, but some of my greatest lessons are when I, maybe I, didn't, I failed at something. So we tell them, give us the feedback and the performance reviews. That is the only way the student's going to get better.
2: I have sort of the opposite question, which do you have kids that come in and say, hey, I love my job. I want to be doing this. I don't really like school. Why am I learning this? Can I work five days a week? I mean, do you you have those kids? All the time. Okay, Uh, a
1: a period. I mean, we get that feedback all the time from our recent graduates that they loved the work program. Honestly, sometimes more than school. Now we say now school is really, really, really important, but they love uh, getting on the bus. We transport them every morning um, and we pick them up at 5 p.m. But going downtown and feeling like a, a young adult, which they are at the age of 14, 15, 16, um, you know, they meet up with their friends for lunch uh, downtown. It's, um, they love work for sure. I, I love that they
0: love Work. I think that there are so many benefits from that satisfaction of learning how to do something, uh, you know, kind of getting paid for it or paying for your education. And so I just think that that has, it's kind of the gift it keeps on giving. And truthfully, I don't think enough kids these days have jobs in high school. I think that we have somewhat lost that. That was pretty normal when I was growing up. And at least where I'm at, it, it isn't. And I think that that is um really something that you have incorporated into the model, and I I look forward to hearing about hopeful expansion and kind of what's next for Christo Rey, because uh, it really does seem like a model that is not only working for the population that you are serving, uh, but that really could benefit um, probably pretty much any school school district uh, in the nation. So uh, Tony, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this really inspiring story of Christo Ray and uh, best wishes to you and the students.
1: Beth and Andrew, I appreciate just the, the time just to share our story and our mission. Like we, uh, I always say, we, we have our corporate partners here at graduation every June and many of them have been with their students since they were freshmen. Um, and so they've seen their student grow up over the course of the four years. And it's just a story that I think everyone wins. The students win, the families win, the corporate partners win. And so I just appreciate the opportunity to tell our story. Really appreciate the time.
0: We could use more stories like them.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great day.
2: Well, it's inspiring to hear about a really interesting school model, um, mm-hmm. and I think you know you, you talked about it after we we wrapped up with Tony. Uh, kids don't work anymore. yeah, all kids need to work. I mean, I don't know if all kids need to work, but but I, I mean, it's terrific that they're doing this for low income families. I couldn't otherwise afford the quality of education that they're that they are getting here at, at, at Crystal Ray. but I mean so many kids could benefit from this
0: Well, oh, absolutely, and you know, I do think. kids should work in some capacity, whether that's at a business, whether that's doing chores around the house, but just, you know, I think that we have, you know, we talk about nationwide, really, that there seems to be an erosion of the work ethic. You see fewer people coming back into the workforce after COVID. And I do think that a lot of those values are formed when kids are young and perhaps better formed when they're young. And I love how Christo Ray. Not only builds it in, so you have some of these benefits just from a character development um, and and skills development, but it also helps pay for school. I mean, I just think it's a really innovative way to make sure that the school is financially sustainable and that it's available to these low-income families that they serve. Um, I do love that, that kind of good sort of irony where if they're, if they go through Crystal Ray successfully graduate and move on to a successful career, <laughs> their kids can't go there. Right. So that seems to be something. It'd be great if they could fix,
2: fix that problem. What well, do why do you think of, kids don't oh, work? Why do you think kids don't work anymore?
0: Uh, I don't know, but I would say a lot of distractions. I think there's a real over overscheduled, I You think that's part sports of it? I mean, they've got sports taken called, you know, on a new. Okay. Sports has taken on a new life um, in with our kids versus I think when we were in high school, and um, you know I think some parents think that you know they'd rather have their kids kids focus on academics, get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, and and it takes up time, uh, and so I, I think it's probably a combination of factors. But I, I do think that it is it's a benefit for for kids to understand that, you know, putting forth effort, getting money, you know, and having a savings account and paying taxes and understanding, um, you know, what just that relationship. Well, if more
2: of them saw that they had to pay taxes and lost money out of their paycheck, maybe they would right. grow up and vote differently, right?
0: <laughs> Possibly. Uh, we, Rather yeah, than when I,
2: everything I, is handed to them by their families <laughs> or by the government, right?
0: Yeah, Something no, like I mean, that. I know we, I, we, when I got my first paycheck, I, I remember seeing, I thought, How old what now? is what is that? How old? And uh, my first job where I received an actual pay stub was in high school. Okay. I worked at a food shop and um, I really enjoyed it. And you do, you know, you learn a lot about customer service. I learned about food prep, um, just in interacting people in a professional you know, setting um, yeah. is different than, you know, with family and friends and, and whatnot. So I well kids
2: are also I mean you learn how to talk to adults to something I mean it's the work mm-hmm. ethic aspect and there's the you know the financial aspect of this being responsible but there's also I feel like kids don't have a lot of opportunities these days they don't spend as much time with their families they don't have dinners with their parents so much anymore but it's you know it's also a way to, to you know interact with with mm-hmm. adults
0: right and all sorts of people handle you know tricky situations and yeah. uh, no I think there are huge benefits. Um, I wanted to also, go back to, you know, the graduation rate that Tony talked about, which on paper, I think he said it was 63% graduation. And, you know, it really might sound low, but boy, when you look at it relative to what that national average is. Well, that's is, what I, that's the point it's I was so, impressive with that. so I, I was glad shocked that, you said that. that.
2: the national level. I, I hope he didn't take it to mean that the 67% mm-hmm. is low, but that I think 10 or 11% or something he said nationally amongst that demographic, whatever that Uh, immigrants, first generation, something like that, you know, lower income, first generation immigrants, I think he said. Mm -hmm.
0: Largely Hispanic Yes. So I thought that that was important. And um, just to always, you know, remember to keep things, you know, relative, uh, because I think that it's clearly making an impact in the communities that they're serving. So what do you think about this, this whole win, win, win situation? And you know, where corporations are looking for good talent, um, yeah. you know, people are looking for jobs. And then, you know, the teachers, I liked how they were somewhat taking, I liked that that visit program where they could understand, you know, what the kids were experiencing so they could make what they're teaching in the classroom more well, relevant. Uh, it just seemed like that was a really, um, you know, symbiotic relationship between all of these entities and that, you know, perhaps present-day society could could use a lot more crystal-ray schools.
2: Yeah, I th- I think so. And, and that's why I was curious to ask if there's been any thought internally in the organization of expanding the model beyond just, you know, low the 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 the, the tuition um you know for lower income families as a way of, of affording that. Because I think what you're saying is right. I mean, well, two things. I mean, everyone, every kid could benefit from I think that kind of work study program. And then from the perspective of the we have to break the track where where the only success of a kid is to go to a four-year college. You know, there has to be another track. Um, and whether it's, you know, vocational schools, you know, two-year vocational schools beyond high school, or whether it's just high school that transitions into this kind of work-study program to, into work. But this model that we have today, this credentialed model of, and and with, you know, schools, universities being so expensive and, you know, kids you know, graduating with these ridiculous student loans and still not learning a valuable skill set, it's broken. And so to see, you know, models like Crystal Ray start to disrupt that model a little bit, you know, I think there has to be thought on how to expand that much, much more broadly. I'd love to see that.
0: That sounded like they're in the beginning stages. So uh, we will yeah. keep in touch with, uh, with Tony and, and what happens at the high school.
2: Yeah. And, and and we'll, you know, we'd, we'd like to talk about other, you know, innovative education models on this show. So we'll have to look for, you know, for others. So on that note, um, future guests that, you know, can talk about that would be terrific. Again, this is a, an optimistic episode, different than some of our more pessimistic episodes. So we hope all of you enjoyed that. On behalf of my co-host, that's Feely, I'm Andrew Gutman. Uh, if you like us, please give us a good review and share us. And thank you for tuning in to Take Back Our Schools. cache Join the conversation